0: Alright, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Maron. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. How's it going? Are you guys okay? What did you do this weekend? Did you? Are, are, you, are you out there dodging the Delta? Wait for the Omega! Wait for the Omega! It's gonna burn your face off! Uh, I was out. I was out in the world. I'm sorry, I don't mean to make light but, uh, sometimes it's what I do today on the show, I talked to Tom McCarthy. All right. He, uh, you know, his work. He just, uh, I, I, well, I just saw Stillwater and I, I really enjoyed the, the writing, which he did as well. Uh, and directing that was great. Uh, I also loved his movie spotlight. He's a Jersey guy. Uh, he was, he, he began working, uh, doing sketch comedy in college. He's an actor. And, uh, All-around interesting guy. Also a friend of Lynn Shelton's, which I didn't fully realize until he mentioned it. He also directed The Station Agent. Uh, Oh, yeah, and The Visitor and Win-Win. And I believe he co-wrote Up. Dude's a talented dude. Um, I will get into what went down around this booking a little bit more before the interview. Because he was booked, and there was some online controversy about the movie Stillwater, and then suddenly he wasn't booked. And then he was rebooked. But I'll talk about that in a second. Let's talk about Denver, Denver, Colorado. So I've had some thoughts. All right. As many of you know, about a week after the comedy store opened, I started back up. I started going at it, getting you know, getting strong again, getting my uh, my muscle memory back, getting my chops together, getting my calluses back for doing the stand up comedy at the nightclubs. And then I did four shows uh, over the course of uh, four Thursdays in July at Dynasty Typewriter. So once I got my uh, calluses back, I just started doing the big riffs, big riffing, hour twenty, hour twenty four five uh working through the new material the new thoughts the pain the glory the uh the the confusion all of it dumping it into the big hour riffs and then like as per how i was trained as to how as per how i came up you know when you got the shit going how do you test it out well you got to go to a comedy club look man comedy clubs honestly are still the best place to see stand-up comedy you know, once we polish it and it gets to a theater, it's a different thing. There's no frenzy. It's a it's a set piece for the most part. I leave a little room for a little riffing, but for the most part you want when you're out of theater, you want to present the good thing, the whole thing, the polished thing, the thing as it comes together. In the clubs, sometimes you don't know what the fuck is going to happen. You're trying to sequence it, order it, add new shit. But I got to be honest with you, man. I hadn't been at a comedy club in a while over a year now this has always been the way I've done it man you know work it out in the clubs and since I've been able to do theaters take it to the theater and sometimes you work out more in the theater but mostly it's in the trenches you know and I had some feelings I had some feelings man I spiraled a bit after my Thursday show so I get to Denver on Thursday I get to Denver on Thursday I rent a car because I'm planning on going to do a little record shopping. I'm just trying to get back to normal, even with the Delta variant ripping through the world. And uh, Colorado has no mask mandates, and it's sort of a free-for-all. But I mean, I think they're pretty low in cases, and they do all right. It's kind of an outdoorsy state. Everybody's not up each other's ass. But nonetheless, I didn't check the vax level, but I have required vaccine-only shows that you need Vax proof to get in. I'm doing that uh, at most of my upcoming dates that I have on the books. Uh, I'll be at Fe- I'll be in Phoenix at Stand Up Live this Thursday and Friday. Those shows are Vax only. I'll be in uh, Salt Lake City, uh, I believe, the week after at Wise Guys. Uh, those um, those shows are also uh, Vax only, and that was the only place where it seemed like there was a, a significant uh, bit of refunds. But we're going forward. That's the way it's going to be. Uh, at helium in st louis in september uh, we're requesting vax only Uh, comedy attic in bloomington in october uh, vax only Uh, all of them upcoming shows and whatever ones i do in the near future are going to be vax only and again you can have your feelings uh you can be like that's authoritarian liberalism that's a tyranny this is the end of democracy the vax passport okay well i'm going inside are you gonna wait out here go home what are you gonna do uh, it's a public health issue. It's not a authoritarian device. Uh, if people can't be adults around this, I, what can I tell you? Uh, my audience mostly vaxxed and uh, didn't didn't diminish the, the Denver shows at all. All of them sold out. And it just makes my audience more comfortable for the most part. So that's the way it's going to be. So Thursday, I go up on stage in in Denver at the comedy work. Sam Talent opens for me, uh, does a bombastic... Uh, opening set. And I get out there and I work through my stuff. The audience is great, mostly my people, but it felt a little choppy, a little fragmented. It was a good show, but when I left, I'm like, fuck, man. Am I cut out for this anymore? Can I fucking deal with this shit? Now I'm going to do like late shows on Friday and Saturday. I'm going to do two shows on Friday and Saturday. I don't fucking need to do this anymore. This is my inner monologue. I'm not saying this to anybody but me. I don't need to do this shit anymore. I don't need to do comedy clubs, man. I can just work this out in a more supportive space. This is delicate business I'm doing man. I don't need to go out there and put myself, my heart on the line for a fucking drunky audience at 12 at, you know, at second show Friday, second show Saturday, like do the fucking crowd management business along with putting my heart on the line. Man, why the fuck am I doing this to myself? And I sat at this coffee shop called Crema and I spread out all my notes and I just started doing the work, man. I started thinking, looking, ordering things in my head and, uh, you know, as I spiraled and decided that I probably wasn't long for the comment game, which is obviously part of my preparation apparently. Didn't help that on Thursday night, the only place open for dinner was some Cajun place. And because I was a little unhappy with my set, I decided to bury myself in fried food, which I never eat. So then I am can't sleep. I'm burping up blackened spices. I'm fucking rolling around in bed. I got the sweats. The altitude's fucking with me. I can barely breathe. My brain's not working right. The next day, just spiraling, getting out of the business, just going to fall into a pit of self, top it with some ice cream and call it a fucking career you know what I'm saying and then god damn it man i go back to the club friday first show fucking locked in order sequence good callbacks working all the delicate stuff the heavy-hearted business the pushing back the sad bits worked i'm feeling like i'm in the fucking pocket i got a real groove going and the only way to test fucking comedy jokes is to do them at a real comedy club for a mixed crowd i would say it was mostly my audience but there was other people in there just seeing if the shit lands seeing if you can fucking land these bits and they were fucking landing man they were landing Ending, like goddamn parachute people just sort of slowly coming down and just a little plunk on the bottom you pull the chute down and man little tears coming at the corner of your eyes a little laughy laughy you know what i'm saying saturday night shows get back in it adam caden holland opens for me uh brent gill Open for me on Friday. He did a good job. Adam, I've worked with before, smart guy. He does the opening. I go out fucking Saturday first show, working the shit out, kind of tweaking the order, heavy, you know, taking out the bits that weren't quite working or working them out so they work better, landing that shit again. Saturday second show was the one I was worried about, but uh, great fucking crowd. I fucking love doing comedy clubs. I went from thursday i gotta quit and i'm just gonna allow myself to become an obese person and live in shame uh to this is what i do man this is what i fucking do so i drove to the airport got on a plane typed up my little dispatch for the week landed in burbank got in my car was back home in 24 minutes got in the house said hi to the cats uh did a home covid test negative thank you thank you very much i earned it Uh, then I got on the mic here, and I'm going to go to the uh, premiere of Respect soon. But that'll be yesterday by the time you hear this. All right, so listen, folks, Tom McCarthy is my guest today. And um, right off the bat here, at the beginning of this interview, we talk about the, the Amanda Knox thing. Now, for those of you who don't know, a couple of weeks ago, Tom did an interview with Vanity Fair, and they asked him... They asked him, you know, if if the movie was inspired by Amanda Knox's false conviction and imprisonment in Italy. And Tom talked about how some aspects of that true story inspired him in thinking about the script for Stillwater, which is not that story. It's not her story. When the article came out, uh, it, it, you know, in a clickbaity way, it really played up. That aspect of the interview, making it the headline of the piece and talking about it being inspired by the Amanda Knox saga, quote unquote. And then, uh, you know, understandably, Amanda Knox herself had a very negative reaction to that piece. And she wrote a series of tweets explaining why she felt the promotion of the movie in this interview was exploiting her right down to the magazine, calling her real life ordeal a saga, a quote unquote saga. It's definitely worth reading her tweets about it. And I would I would suggest you do that. Well, when all that went down, suddenly our interview with Tom got canceled, which we just figured uh, was because they didn't want him doing any more publicity about the film because of uh, this swirling buzz. Uh, But within a couple hours, we got notified that it was back on and that Tom specifically pushed to have the interview on canceled to uncancel the interview. So that's really where we enter this conversation. It's the first thing we talk about uh here at the beginning of this talk. And we got right into the idea of what inspired the movie and whether or not the film is exploiting a real life situation. Um so you can decide for yourself because you can see Stillwater in theaters now and this is me talking to Tom McCarthy. I'm happy you did this. You canceled, and then you're back.
1: Did I officially cancel?
0: Yeah, it was officially canceled. I'm like, what happened? And then it's like, no, he's coming. (laughs) What happened?
1: That sounds like how I plan everything in my life. (laughs) It literally sounds like everything in my life.
0: Was there a reason? Was there panic?
1: There was no panic about this. I mean, I'm a fan and get nervous about doing things when I actually like. Yeah. Uh, But there was more... I didn't know I was going to stay till Monday. Oh, okay. It's been driving this, you know, releasing the yeah. movie, And I was like, maybe I just want to get back to New York. And then right. I was like, no, let's stay and do it. That was the decision? Was so it's all decision. personal? You know what it was? You what? know what the tipping point was? My longtime editor, Tom McArdle, yeah. he somehow caught wind that yeah. I was going to do it. I think, yeah. I think he heard Matt's interview and you mentioned it. Yeah. And so he shot me an email. It's like, you got to do that, right? Right. And oh, really? Yeah. He, he, I think he was maybe the first person who mentioned your podcast to me?
0: Oh, yeah, because I had made this assumption. I'm like, oh shit, this, like, what is happening? Is there panic <laughs> at the studio? The, yeah, because,
1: yeah. like, it's all me, all what,
0: me. No, I thought it, it had something to do with the uh, Amanda Knox tweets. Oh, yeah. yeah but, uh, you know, and it's, you know, I, we don't need to dwell on that, but that was my assumption. It's sort of like, oh, here's what I do. Like, the studio said, this is, oh, know, God, yeah, no. no. Yeah, we've got to do some damage control. But uh, But it's an interesting topic about inspiration. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and and the difference between you know inspiration, uh, uh, life story, yep. and and also the difference between sort of like uh, art and life. Yeah. What What was your reaction to that?
1: Just that, like, sort of analyzing that a little bit. Like, look, uh, you know, I, for, first of all, I I really empathize with her her feelings and and the circumstances around all that. You know, yeah, it's it's tragic and yeah. horrible and yes. traumatic. Uh, but Stillwater's a work of fiction, like right. that's it. And, yeah. and I think with everything in my life, I'm pulling sort of magpieing, as you are, as we all are, yeah. from different creative things. So one of the biggest inspirations for this was a conversation I had with a, a relative of mine whose father like really struggled with addiction and there, and I always knew it. And I saw, I finally said, Hey, could we just do like three one hour phone calls and you just lay out that relationship with me? Yeah. And it was it was the most, it was the deepest she ever went on. It was like really beautiful. About her father? Yeah, about her relationship with her father and how dysfunctional it was and what that meant. And it provided so much. And I'm like, okay, that's the relationship I want to explore in this movie. And so... You know that was a big piece of this yeah and then I would say you know of course yeah that story was sort of a in the headlines a yeah. lot you know her story in the headlines a lot right. when the trial was going on so that was a piece of like oh I like that relationship I like these two people father and daughter being in a cell together that was critical to yes me. with great dysfunction and great yeah. pain and then like another example would be like I read this amazing book that dealt with like a, a psychologist from Berkeley who went to rural Louisiana and like embedded with tea party of, you know members and yeah. tried to understand them with empathy and it was like this incredible distillation of like their situation And I'm like, okay, this is 2016 when I reengage with this script. I had two French writers And I'm like, okay, this is at the heart of it. Like we've got this woman in a cell We've got this, you know father-daughter huge dysfunction and we've got this philosophy of a middle American that, that is so well articulated Let's try to unpack that
0: Well, interesting thing about the film was that, you know, it is not a political film. It's not a political character. Yeah. You know, and you make assumptions about it because I remember people were like uh, calling it a Trumpy movie and I'm like, I didn't see that at all. You know, like, (laughs) uh, you know, because that's the way, you know, a a black and white tribal culture thinks that like, you know, they're willing to write off any character that wears a hat or those glasses as as being uh, indicating something. Uh, whereas like yeah. the in the scene where it's addressed, which I thought was kind of great, where the French people were just like, We have to ask yeah, you. We have to <laughs> <That> ask <like, laughs> And and his answer again was sort of like uh you don't really know how he feels yeah. because of what he's enabled to say in that moment. Yeah. And I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but but I, there was a lot of that going on in the film. Like you like I I talked to Matt about it where where the viewer this, you don't even know what the fuck is happening for 15 minutes. Yeah. And I think that's, a, that's a, a great thing and a testament to your writing. And it must have been something that you had to craft fairly carefully. Yeah,
1: very much so. Like,
0: you're like, I, you know, it, it's sort of like, where are we going? What's going on? Who is this guy? Yeah. Who's that lady? Where's the money coming yeah. from? Why does, why, does is he, he,
1: why does he know Marseille? How does this guy, why does this guy travel to France, you know? Right. And look, I'll say this about that. I, when I reapproach the script, I, put, I started it 10 years ago, put it down. Started from scratch in 2016, and I had been to Marseille at that point about five or six times. I knew Marseille. Research, yeah, just just hanging out in the city, researching. So this is your
0: process with all movies. It's very journalistic. uh, It's very journalistic. But this is like a uh, this is a work of fiction. I mean, Spotlight was different. Spotlight was different
1: spotlight. Okay, so going back to what you asked about what this is based on spotlight was a true story Right based right. on real people right. when I do that. I engage them. I know I'm writing about real people I'm gonna tell their story. I got to be factually accurate spotlight was that this was fiction And the right. way I build that is like so yeah 10 years ago hanging out Marseille learning the city But when I picked up the this, this script in 2016, I realized I hadn't been to Oklahoma Like I'm like I said to my wife. I literally woke up one day. I'm like, oh my god I know Marseille may be better than Oklahoma. And I got off the plane there, and you realize you realize in this how big this country is, right? Because I got yeah. off the plane, I'm like, I don't know this place at all, at yeah. all. And I started setting up these interviews with Roughnecks, and my assistant tracked down these I, Roughnecks. How do I, I, we do I, that?
0: I, but I mean, it's like you set up interviews with <laughs> Roughnecks. That's not, I'll tell you one thing. That's not something <laughs> that happens in a Roughnecks wife every day. No. And I, and I imagine it's not something that, you know, to have sort of a general kind of like, let's just, you know, get to know each other chat. You know, I want to know what makes you guys tick. It was kind of that. Yeah. It was literally- How do you set those interviews up? Where they go, she go out to an oil field?
1: No, I set it up at a barbecue joint in a small town. A Hmm. barbecue joint. And they- Where they go we would just set up in these locations and I had met one or two oil rig workers roughnecks and then what they would do was just call their friends and say hey man go to this barbecue place at one o'clock and talk to this guy Tom he's okay he's okay and they yeah. would sit with me and I would just have these interviews And he's not out to wild. fuck us no they you know I'm sure even Matt mentioned it but you know when I first started going there and just showing up they uh-huh. were a little reticent uh-huh. they didn't know Yeah, you know, yeah. They, you know I'm a director from Brooklyn you know Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, it took them a little bit to open up but uh-huh. by the time you know four or five Six visits, and then I brought Matt. You know, they started to feel. When they saw
0: Matt, they're like, all right.
1: They were pretty good about it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like, what what was the interview? I mean, what what did you? what Literally, I, everyone was different because each one of these guys had a drastically
1: different personality and come from really background. Some of these guys were still, you know, some of these guys were pretty broken and damaged. Some of these guys really got their shit together. Yeah. You know, Roughnecks, just a background on these guys. Like, they're an iconic, like, persona in Oklahoma. And, like, most of them, a lot of them, at least, you know, going back a ways when Kenny Baker and Ryan and these guys who I was meeting with were breaking out, they didn't graduate high school. They got right to work. They, they you know, they did no interest in college. And it's a
0: very specific type of 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 weird, challenging, dirty work. Huge, hugely, hugely. Got to have a of, truck. Yeah, man. You got to be strong. Yeah. You got to be tough. You yeah. Gotta,
1: and by the way, I think the one thing these guys pride most in themselves is their work ethic. Yeah. So these guys get out of high school. They get these jobs and they start working rigs. Right. And and you know it's this culture and they make a lot of money and they live hard and they play hard and they work hard. And some of them burn out. (laughs) A lot of them burn out. A lot of them really struggle with a lot of things. Drugs, drinking, addiction, you know, hard living. And then some of them, like the guys we met, made it through. So those are the guys we started talking to. They set up these initial interviews. And then I just sat and listened. And and sometimes it was really awkward. Some of these guys felt awkward. You know, I'd order some barbecue. (laughs) I'd get them a Coke. I'd sit there and we'd chat. And inevitably, over time, they would start telling me about marriages and work and, and, you know, struggles and what their other jobs were and their occupations and their brothers and losing people along the way and yeah. all that but, shit. But it's but it's interesting.
0: I mean you come you know, I don't want I I, I don't want to be I don't want to stereotype or, or seem uh insensitive, but I mean you come from a a an Irish family mm-hmm. and there was n- no alcoholism or Oh yeah, sure. My, yeah, of course. So, but, I'm, Irish. So, sh- I'm sure there still is. I mean I'm sure but, but, I'm prob- but, but I mean you had to go to Oklahoma to find uh, you know um Why that kind to, of to, to to explore the relationship of a a go- child and a parent in terms of alcoholism and addiction and, and Again, co- it
1: goes back to reference points for the movie, right? Yeah. Jumping off points. Right. You
0: know, you mentioned
1: the prison thing, you yeah. mentioned and I, I knew I wanted to take someone from the middle of the country. I literally uh, Mark, I literally just circled on the map Oklahoma, and I well, like likes the name of Stillwater.
0: I I have been condescending <laughs> in my life, and recently yeah. about the Midwest. And I've since talked to a director, John schaub from yep. from Oklahoma, and now we just watched like four films by Sterling Harjo, yeah. who's a Native American. I know him. Good guy. Great director dude like to see the native american story yeah you know and how that played out and, yeah and oklahoma is like you know ground zero for a lot of that stuff yep and also that that horrendous uh uh you know decimation of of african-american people like yep. That there's something about Oklahoma where I'm like Oklahoma has to rise correctly yep. for the rest of the country to repair itself.
1: Yeah, I think I think <laughs> there's something in that. I mean it's a bit biblical and epic, right. but I think there's something in that. And like First of all, Sterling, I'm I'm glad you're chatting with him. He's a great guy, and dude. Those movies are great, really poetic, yeah, really beautiful and right. really soulful, and, yeah, and something at the heart of this country. You know? Yeah, man, I mean, I'm I, glad he's getting his voice. He's got that new Showtime. I got show watch coming out. I'm great. waiting
0: to. I got, I'm waiting for the links, but but yeah. So, the, but the uniquely American experience. You know, even though this is a, a white guy and and sort of a, a juxtaposition to that culture yeah. that, that is in Oklahoma, it is sort of another type of uh, kind of a post-indigenous culture that's been in Oklahoma forever. These guys, cowboys and whatnot.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah, you know, I think so. I think, like, look, there's definitely, we're taking a hero sort of stereotype. But, it, but you didn't and, take
0: Texas. That's yeah, I yeah. like that you chose, like, because Texas is sort of established. Oklahoma is a right. little, little like, but Oklahoma's like all about cowboys. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt No, you. no, you're right. Yeah. And,
1: and but when you're talking cowboys, when you're talking Texas, you're talking American iconic hero on some level, right? Yeah. And that's
0: kind of what roughnecks are in Oklahoma. No, I think this is like, now that I'm talking to you about it, I'm yeah. going to go ahead and call Stillwater a Western.
1: I think that's I think there's a template of a Western in there for sure. For Sure. I mean look, stranger gets on arrives in a town, doesn't know anyone, daughter in peril. Right. Yeah, we just and and you know Look, there's been a lot of talk about what is this movie, and some people have knocked it and been like, oh, it's a couple of different movies at once, and I'm like, "Absolutely." fucking Well, it is and it isn't, right? Tone holds it all together, but like, there's a number of storylines here. Sure. And I'll tell you,
0: I, when I started working with these French writers, these guys are great. Thomas again, Noé So Debré. how does that go? So you're like, uh, you, know, you know half this movie or most of this movie is yeah. going to take place in Marseille, so yeah. out of respect, you're going to engage... Uh, French writers and co-write with them because you don't know the culture or the language or what
1: it was it was it was not I don't want to say worse than that, but I, it took me longer to get there. What I did was started this first draft with a guy in New York City. I didn't like it. I didn't like the movie. It was a straight up thriller. same same conceit, same setup. But I didn't like the thriller. And I was like, okay, I put it away
0: for six years. Your movie was turning into a thriller. It was a thriller. First draft, 10 years ago. (laughs) That's right. Did you hear me ask Matt if, like I told him, I thought this might be a franchise? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Could you see this guy bungling cases around the world? Stillwater, too. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, And then when I picked it back up, I'm like, okay, it's lacking dimension. It's lacking authenticity. I need French writers. Obviously, it's set in Marseille. Started at the top of the food chain. I love this director Jacques Audiard. I love his movies and profit rust and bone a bunch of others mm. and I said who's his, who does he work with? And yeah. I just reached out to these guys email mm-hmm. just got their email sent him email said hey, here's a draft of a script I don't love it. It's too much of a straight-up thriller. I want to expand it I want to change it start from scratch. Will you guys work with me? Yeah, and, and we did they jumped in and we started talking about it. how many other scripts? Do you have just sitting around for not it? that many? In fact, when I put that down, it was the first time in my life I literally walked away from a yeah. script I spent a year and I thought, wow, I got to be careful because a- I didn't get paid for that. Right, I'm not super rich and I'm like, I can't spend that kind of time on something I don't get paid for and not do it.
0: But in its inception, I mean, yeah. when you began to write it, you, you're, did you set out to write a thriller and then become disappointed? Yeah. Yeah, I think it did. Interesting, because like what I've started to notice in watching like Pig and in watching your film, and I just watched um, all of uh, uh, Underground Railroad, is that I think that one thing the Trump presidency and the pandemic has diminished greatly is the happy ending. And it seems that you know there there is something to be said about anti heroes and and morally ambiguous endings yeah, that are, are obviously have usually almost always reflect an honesty in what the human condition is at any given time, but it seems like there is an appetite for it, again, uh, not unlike the 70s. Am I projecting? Do you think it's possible? I think now's the time for that. I, yeah. think,
1: I think with Stillwater, look, the original was a thriller. What thrillers don't usually possess are consequences, right, of, for actions, and I think this film needed to examine consequences for the main character and hence our actions, right, both uh, in, at home and abroad. And so that was something... We started to talk about. I had two French writers looking back, talking to me every day in 2016, 2017, Trying to analyze what was happening in this country and how we felt about it, mm. and like I'm like, oh man, that's the other thing I didn't have in the original draft. I didn't have a point of view. Like, a, I didn't have a cause. I didn't yeah. have a discussion. I didn't have something I was trying to understand. When I went to Oklahoma, you know, we were doing a lot of finger pointing. It was a lot of screw those people. They're the problem. We're the problem. I'm like, I got to go like sit with these people. You know, I got to start to understand our countrymen, <laughs> as as hokey as that sounds, in a more complete way. And I'll be honest, at that time, it was incredibly. It was enlightening. It was. uh sounds. I, I would. I. I would come back from those trips feeling hopeful about our country at a moment where I was not feeling hopeful about our country. Well, you know, it's weird
0: that happens when you actually talk to people. There you go. I. I, I mean, it's like I'm glad it made you feel help, hopeful. But you know, the 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 chances of you walking away from that and then re-entering some rabbit hole of of uh, misinformation is high, but I mean, but when you sit with people and among people, which I think our phones and our computers you know, kind of put a a, a real wall between yep. us and actually communicating. You realize, like, oh, we're all just people. There's a vulnerability to it. Yep. There's a there's a tenderness to it. There's a respect to it, which is uh, which I'm starting to see in some of these films I've been watching. I'm I'm, I'm kind of having this weird kind of a brain changing moment ar- around watching you know like Sterling's stuff and, yep. and Stillwater and yep. and also like uh, you know the Underground Railroad. Is that you know the the only thing that's going to save us is is that connection, that tenderness, that you know attempt at 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 being better. I think
1: so. I think they're more human movies, right? Yes, they're just exactly. they're just they're and and there's empathy, like. Bill Baker, who Matt Damon plays, is a very flawed character, but he's a dimensional character.
0: He's but yeah, he's also character. like fails. Yeah, I mean, what's, yeah, <laughs> I mean that the, that, <laughs> that is the whole thing. Is like once you realize where you are in that movie, you're like, oh, he's not. This is not how you go about doing this. Yeah, it creates real tension. And in those moments where Matt's like, you know, I'm sorry, I, you know, like where he does things that he again knows are wrong, and they're going to be, he, he he tries, but he doesn't think things through.
1: Yeah. I think you're right. I think, look, I think there's a fallibility to us all. And I think, you know, now as a guy with two da- young daughters, you think, oh man, I just screw up all the time. I do the wrong things. I say the wrong things. I act out in the wrong way. And you're, you know, when you got little people staring at you, you're really, I'm really conscious. And so those scenes with him and his daughter to me, I think it's the thing Matt probably connected with first in the script. They're just heartbreaking to me. They're heartbreaking. You know, look, again, it was interesting, you know, when, when we started, to, when we were working on the original draft of this we were all listening to podcasts and by that i mean like long form story podcasts s-town serial those things we're all kind of just talking about it and the craze of it and we're like oh this is cool how these things start off as one thing and become something else and they keep evolving and suddenly like i don't care what they're talking about i'm deeply involved so it starts as a mystery and becomes a love story and, and, and i don't know whatever and we were just really into these things and we're like why can't that be our template here why can't that be our sort of cinematic template? Oh, interesting! And let this sort of let this movie change lanes and become more human when it needs to. Because we knew we weren't just interested in the straight up thriller. We weren't in, that we, that has been done and done well. This isn't just an American
0: on a mission. This is an American. Oh no! So you you almost inverted the thriller. Definitely, right. Well, yeah, because, well, that's interesting. So that was the template is that, you know, you realize like, we know we have a certain amount of freedom narratively that there's, that we're not beholden to anything that, you know, this is set up to be a rescue mission. But, but what it's really about is, is, is this guy's journey to possible journey to his own personal freedom and, and the literal, uh, uh, attempt to free his daughter.
1: No question. Look, and what normally happens on those missions, the mission is the story, right? This is like what happens because we all have other life around our missions. We yeah, all work hard, yeah. but we have all this other life around it. Let's continue to keep that alive. Let's continue to explore that because ultimately that's where the pain comes from at the end. And I think that's what separates this movie from just a particular genre. It's a no, more I don't, yeah, human drama in that than it is. Yeah, anything.
0: and I didn't see. I didn't see you know uh, uh, a genre, and I didn't see also like I. I it's also like talking that we did a, in the kitchen about pig. This is also a grief movie, definitely. And I'm just finding in life that most people are carrying around unresolved grief. And if you start to look at that, like, who knows how to handle that shit? Yeah. Because, you know, you got to suck it up and and live. Uh, But like, you know, I recently, you know, had a a revelation about my my mother's boyfriend. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, if I look at his life, you know, grief is going to twist you in ways that you can't imagine if you don't process it. Yeah. I think you're right,
1: and look, I think sometimes it's beyond us to take the proper steps to cope, you know, unless we really have a mechanism set up in our life, right, that really forces us. And then so sometimes, as in movies, I think as in this story events happen to us if we're lucky that push us to confront these things it's painful but it like forces our hand a little bit forces us out of our lane a little bit and makes us and it doesn't mean we're going to be necessarily better for it but we are going to start to understand and be more in touch with it which is at least a silver lining at least that's hopeful maybe
0: beaten into humility maybe Maybe yeah, but that's you know not you might not know me. it, right? But, you know, and that's the worst part. It's like if life has beaten you into humility, yeah. but you're the last to know, yeah. then you're just this comedy of errors yeah. that everyone's sort of like, yeah. when is he going? Wow, that poor guy. <laughs> He's Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned that uh, you got to know Lynn Shelton a bit. I did. I did. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's I, I, I've been a fan
1: of your show for a while, and I don't, you know, again. Tragedy is a funny thing I didn't reach yeah. out when, when Lynn passed And I was As everyone Just you know Broken hearted about well, it But thanks. It was interesting We we met uh, I met her randomly One night At a we, I was invited by Edgar Wright And Paul Rudd And yeah. we went to see Paul Simon play And I, I knew Lynn I met her a though. couple yeah, yeah, times yeah. I was a big fan of her movies We met in LA one night Just randomly And had a nice chat And she showed up She was the fourth And we had the best time We went to this Paul Simon yeah. one his last concerts Went out for dinner Talked all night, you know, the four of us just geeked out. And this started this great, funny new relationship. And then I'm on, I think what's called the old people's social media app yeah. Marco Polo
0: yeah she loved that thing I'm not on it but she was I don't
1: it. do it with anyone I have two groups of friends I do yeah. it with that's it and one day I get to Marco Polo she's like tell me this can't be you, you don't, right. you're not because re- I don't have any social media presence right. and she's like you're not on this and it started this very funny back and forth with her and I at random times yeah. and just go and it was like I it, and finally my wife's like who's on your Marco Polo I'm like this group this group and Len Sheldon I don't know why it's <laughs> become this thing she's like okay I totally condone that yeah And, uh, you know, in fact, one of the last times we spoke on it was I was in Marseille making Stillwater. She didn't know. She reached out. You guys were coming to Spain. uh, No, you were coming to New York with S.W.O.R.D.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she asked
1: me to sort of, she said, she goes, I really want, have you met Mark? I said, no. She goes, oh, you guys, you got to meet. And if, would you meet us for dinner and then do like a, you know, Q&A and, you know, moderate. Yeah, moderate. And I said, of course. I said, but I'm in France till this date and it it didn't work out. And so that's why we didn't meet that time. Yeah. So, uh. But, man, I just, you know, what's to say?
0: Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? I mean, yeah, I, like, it,
1: it, by the way, sort of true, that movie. Trust. Trust, yeah. sorry. So, so fucking good.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting little movie. Like, well, you know, or, I,
1: I went back and watched it again, and that like that one scene, it's a really, and you're amazing in that movie, and it's a really, really deep movie in a lot of ways, but that one scene that you and Lynn have in the at shop. At the beginning, oh, yeah. God, that yeah. scene is so intense. I mean, and I mean connection-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's obvious, it's just like a deeply quiet, patient, deeply heartfelt, intense scene.
0: Did well, you feel that when you were shooting it? Well, yeah, of course, you know. Like, and, and like, I, I, you know, the, the waves of grief, you know, they kind of, it's hard, but, you know, that scene, what well, was very important to her, you know, because at that time, it's difficult when you are sort of in love with somebody, but you can't really, uh, um, um, allow it to happen because of situations so there was a lot of kind of interesting tension yeah. with us anyways yeah uh but you know we were definitely close at that moment yeah but so there it was always it was kind of loaded up and and also there was a the dynamic with her and i were like she was directing me and she would directed me many times before yeah. in my own show in comedy specials yeah she would always wanted to make a movie with me that we were writing that we never finished that you know still remains unfinished, but she sort of pulled this together primarily f- to direct me in a movie. Yeah. So then she's like, "I'm going to play this part." And then there was always sort of like, "I'm I'm not I'm not difficult on set, but it was hot, you know, in in, in Birmingham. I was cranky. Were you difficult? They, they couldn't they, the cereal. I couldn't get the cereal I wanted. <laughs> of course, man. Yeah, and uh, the important stuff. Well, I'm not a prima donna, no, but I mean, it doesn't said, sound I'm, like it. How <laughs> how hard is it to get this one cereal? Anyways. <laughs> So I, so there's a tension of like, you know, in in a sort of like couple-y way where she's telling me, giving me direction. I'm like, no, I don't want to, you know, and I have to move through that, you know, the kind of like, because she's always right. Yeah. And it just takes me a minute to be like, all right, okay, okay. So that's so, all playing in that scene? Sure. But what's really Sorry. playing in there is that, you know, she just moved me, you know, yeah. and, and and ultimately, you know, that scene is about having to shut somebody out who you love out of necessity. Yeah. You know, which is, you know, that drug relationship. Yeah. So you can s- feel a
1: You talked about Stillwater and the mystery of it. Like, who is this guy? What's happening? That scene has that so brilliantly because you don't you don't and you don't reveal what's going on in that movie and that relationship for another know. hour that's right that's true and yeah. and so like you're just sitting there i remember the first when i went back and watched it that's when i was like god damn the, the fucking the tension between these two people is so palpable as actors as characters but the first time you see that think about that you really don't know what's going on because you don't say anything yeah. you're just you brilliantly play that quietly play that of just like this pain this sort of
0: fear this this tension and, and having to you fight that charm yeah. Like, you know, and like. She's so charming. Right. They, you know, you, you've it's got so, to keep. You've got to hold back someone who has your number. Yeah. Deeply, you know. Yeah. It, it, yeah it was, I love watching that, yeah. that scene. That's what
1: makes that last moment in that movie so powerful when you just leave it and walk through. Oh, God. It's so beautiful. I couldn't watch it again for a while, quite honestly, because.
0: It's hard, man. It's, I, 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 you know, it's like. It's it's hard with the loss because, like, you you want to keep going back to it you know but you can't like you know like i have pictures and stuff and like there's a you know i had her uh her jacket and her hat and her boots in the hallway for a year and i just finally put them away yep you know because you know what are you gonna do
1: my wife and i were just talking about this because she's a friend who just lost her husband a dear mm. friend and, and i didn't meet him yeah and i and my wife always wanted me to meet him and her friend came over the other day and i just felt such a sense of like missed opportunity yeah and I, I my, we were literally talking about this yesterday, and I felt that about. Lynn quite honestly because because yeah. it was such a new relationship yeah. like I, be- I that's why there was such an outpouring for grief and people reaching out to you and these community things yeah. I didn't feel like I even had a seat at the table because I was like the new friend you I know? barely did so I just quietly <laughs> sat on the outside and was yeah. like mourned like Josh Pice was a dear friend of mine I worked with her a bunch of times and you know I called him I called friends that I knew yeah. that were closer to her but like it's such an it's such an odd feeling and I remember saying to my wife because she's like what is what's you know I keep hearing about Lynn suddenly before she passed yeah. away. I'm like, I'm like you're gonna love her we' be a part of our circle yeah like she just she has like this great kind of she's such an artist she's such a woman she's such a she has like this dude energy she yeah. can hang with anybody yeah she's smart but yeah. she's so accessible yeah i'm going to talk about her in the present because it still helps I know, it, you know yeah. but I, I there's that sense of like it's a unique part of grief when you when you don't you feel things are interrupted which you yeah well
0: that was the that's the hardest thing about that was that yeah, our relationship was new, relatively yeah, new. Yeah. And I didn't really know a lot. I, I mean, dude, I mean, I didn't I had not really met her parents or yeah. spent any time with her yeah, son. Wow, wow, yeah, wow. And, and and all of a sudden, like, you know, the way I really build a relationship with them is you know the day she's taken into the hospital. Right. right. So so that like in realizing that I had no real history with this woman who I was in love with was, you know, that's the hardest thing, is that you're grieving the possibilities. Yeah, and and a lot of people had a lot of time with her. Yeah, you know, and, and deep, long ties. Yeah, and you know, I, I didn't have that, and I always felt like you know, like I, you know, I'm the guy she died with. You know, I don't have this long life with her. You know, it was rough, man. Is it's this rough.
1: is it something you'll ever examine in any way uh, through work through writing? Well, I've
0: been trying to. You know, I mean, you know, I'm you know, sadly, I'm a comic. Yeah. So what do you do with that? You know, how do you process that? uh on on stage and i've been sort of ch- you know doing it you know i've been yeah, improvising yeah. through right. hours an hour yeah, and a half yeah. because like i do think that grief is underrepresented yeah uh, at, yeah in the in the sense that it's something that we are all going to experience one way or the other you know and the one thing that got me through this thing was realizing like this is not unusual it's sad and tragic yeah. but you know losing people in grief it's not it's human
1: Right, but you're, I mean, you are a comic, but you're also a very good actor. Sure. Right? And there's other ways of expressing I'm just curious because I know you've been talking a lot about that way, and I'm just wondering if there's other long form ways. Well, just, yeah. I mean, I,
0: I don't know if it's going to be in writing, but yeah. I, I did a small movie, uh, which I brought a lot of it to that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's opened something up in me that's, you know, not, that's good and probably isn't going to close if yep. I don't let it become bitterness. Yep. Yeah. So, but, like, in speaking of how you got to be, uh, like, you know, somebody who tells stories, I mean, that that wasn't the original intention, was it, for you? No. I mean, like, how did you come up? Where'd you grow, <laughs> where'd you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey. You're
1: just a Jersey yeah, guy? Yeah, just a Jersey guy. What part of Jersey? It's New Providence. Where's that? Town. I don't know. What we're, county? We're Union County. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you a Jersey guy?
0: Yeah, I'm born in Jersey. Where? Morris County is. Oh, yeah. Pompton Lakes is where yeah, my mother's I think from. I knew that. Yeah. My dad's from Jersey City. Yeah. Okay, I'm genetically Jersey. I yeah, I got Jersey in me. Yeah. Oh, I got severe, a lot of Jersey. Severe Jersey. You can't put it. You know, if you spent any. How long were you there? Your whole childhood? Yeah, until I went to college. You know, so it's. It, Jersey's all right. I like Jersey.
1: <laughs> a lot of cool people come out of Jersey. You came out of Jersey. Uh, but it's yeah. so lush. I, it is such a unique place, and it's got such a unique personality. And yeah, I, I, but I no, no one I knew did this or anything like this. I had no, you know, I didn't think about
0: this until- How many brothers
1: and sisters? I got uh, three brothers and a sister, a big Irish Catholic family.
0: But, and none of them went into show business? No. No. And what did your parents do? My dad was in textiles. My mom was a housewife. What does textiles mean?
1: Oh, like towels and sheets and things like but that. But manufacturing them? Yeah, I mean he was on the corporate side. He didn't actually work. The, oh, you know.
0: The so theater. they sold uh, the goods to people that put their labels. Yeah, like on an it. office
1: in New York, and he yeah. worked for these companies. Oh, and so we, he drove into the city every, every day. day. Commuter guy. He took oh. the train. Erie Lackawanna back in the day. Huh? Yeah
0: was kind of cool.
1: It was cool. You know, it was like, I, I don't know. When I told them I was doing this, they sort of just looked at me just blankly. Just almost not even an what'd, opinion. What did you tell them you were going to do? You know what I started to do? I started to do improv comedy and I got out of college and I say, like, I'm going to go work with this improv comedy group Where'd college. you d- Where'd you go to college? Boston College, undergrad. Uh, oh,
0: you Catholic genius. Yeah, straight up. It's <laughs> like, <straight>, you know, <laughs> it's like, I was down Catholic the street. Catholic genius. You don't hear that enough. Yeah.
1: Not yeah. since Aquinas. <laughs>
0: That's a, I was down the street at Bijou. For us, Jewish kids who couldn't quite make the grade. <laughs> is BU, BU is like this great sort of like middle-class Jewish repository of kids who disappointed their parents.
1: Uh, yeah, look, I it's a great place. It was an interesting place to go to school. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the education. Looking back, it was it may, a wonderful school. Maybe a, a bit homogenous in terms of the type of people. Pasty, yeah, a little a bit pasty. A little Irish pasty in a way. <laughs> it's a Jesuit uh, school. Jesuits are very interesting people. They're an interesting folks. How so? Learned. Wait. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: But did mean, you grew up in the church. I did. Yeah. yeah, heavy duty. Heavy duty. Huh. So when you got to college, you like you you. You, uh, I started to separate a bit. But you naturally had respect for the Jesuits. Like I still you, do.
1: I uh, still do for the Catholic Church, but I'm just I'm not, I'm not really a practicing Catholic.
0: Even anymore. after Spotlight? Even after you immersed yourself in I your Oscar-winning movie? I
1: think Spotlight sealed the deal. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, no. I mean, by that point, you know, actually, part of the reason I wanted to make it, I remember my father, who's now passed away, when I decided I was going to do that movie, because they they're very good Catholics, and I realized how important the Catholic Church is to a lot of people. And I went out, and I sat with him at a diner and said... I'm going to direct this movie. And uh, as soon as they announce it, it's going to get a lot of press. Yeah. And I want you to know about it, and some Catholics probably won't be happy about it, and I'm going to do my best. It was a run of intense conversation.
0: And then he said, you better go talk to Father...
1: Immediately, no. He grabbed me by the scruff of my neck and took me over to the church. Did no? He said, uh, "He said, look, I'm down." He said, "I I understand. Why do you want to do it?" And like, you know, just represent all sides, you know. And I said, "Look, it's not a movie if I just pillar, right? Like, I've got it. There's got to be a bigger conversation there." And and he understood that.
0: Well, what was his? How did your family, your parents' generation, respond to the reality of what was uh, Uh, of the sexual abuse? Yeah. You know what was fascinating about that.
1: My father sat with me first. This was so yeah. old school. We went to the diner. Two guys over a cup of in coffee. In Jersey? Yep, in yeah. Jersey, in New Providence. Old Glory, the yeah. diner. And we talked about this. And then my mother joined at some point. I don't know if this was planned, but suddenly she, she showed, showed up. up. And, you know, at this point, I don't know, I'm 40-something years old. And yeah. This is just bizarre. I'm talking to my, I'm like pitching my movie to my parents. <laughs> but we started talking about it. And, and it led to a conversation about the sexual abuse scandal within the Catholic church. And I realized they had never had a deep conversation about it. Hmm. I think they just put it in a box. It's not that they didn't acknowledge it. It's not that they didn't... You know, weren't horrified by right. it, but they never as two sort of as two partners sat down and said, let's talk about this as two Catholics and how we feel. And they started to have this long conversation. And I just sat back and drank my coffee and watched. And I'll never forget that conversation. because I thought, oh, this is why you make the movie. You kind of keep the conversation going. Obviously, not enough has changed in that regard in yeah. that particular case. And this was like two very thoughtful, you know, loving, caring people and good Catholics. And they really hadn't had the deep discourse on it that I felt it deserved.
0: Where'd they end up- up with it like what you know like what what was the arc of that conversation I mean where where did it land
1: a bit unresolved my hmm. father passed away before I finished the movie Oh,
0: uh, geez, my really? mo- yeah
1: I know it's always, always made me sad Um my mother came to the premiere this is actually a nice story she came to the premiere and was so overwhelmed by the movie because I think my father sometimes is a way of my mother processing things yeah. they work together they work through things like good partners yeah and she lost her voice at the premiere like literally you know I talk hysterical blindness this was like hysterical voice loss literally in the course of the screening and I think by the end and it was a big premiere and there's party in it. yeah and she she struggled for that week of trying to understand where this put her in her community huh. of Catholics and friends I think oh wow And then in yeah. a kind of amazing moment, Father Joe from her parish yeah. drove into New York that next week and when it opened went saw the movie at Angelica drove right to my mother's house, knocked on her door and said, it's a good movie. You, you should feel good about this. <laughs> he basically absolved her. And voila, she was back. And she was my most, she's been my most ardent supporter since. <laughs> but she, she needed Father Joe to... To... Man, you talk about a guy I'm forever indebted to? I literally went to church with her the next week and thanked him. Did you? Yeah, I walked in. Sure. I remember my brother over my shoulder saying, are you sure you're welcome here? And I said, oh, that's a good question. I don't know. But I did. I went up and thanked him and said, hey, man, that was that was solid. I appreciate that.
0: That's interesting. And did you... I didn't
1: say, hey, man. I think I said, hey, father. I did you grow up right... with that guy? I mean, was no, that- No, it's that was church? long after I
0: left. Oh, oh, But I was an altar boy. Yeah. And?
1: Yeah, it was fun. No, nothing. I was an altar boy. That's it. End of oh, story. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, but that's well that is And the and just the way you looked at me over <laughs> your glasses there.
0: <laughs> well that's that is the repercussion yeah. uh, of of what went down for centuries. And I you know I don't what well, it's interesting that the compartmentalizing thing that you, you talk about because yes. like I'm Jewish and I'm like relatively unsophisticated in terms of knowing anything about, you know, the Catholic Church or even my own religion yeah. to a certain degree. But I do know that the the older people know and I think they knew and I and, and that, you know, there was and they didn't know what to do with boys Who were, you know, moving towards something that they saw as a sin. And I'm not saying that pedophiles are homosexuals, but there was something about repressive sexuality that, you know, the way some men or boys were driven into the priesthood was dubious. Absolutely, I mean,
1: look—it's—it's—it was a total broken system, and I don't just mean just in terms of the church; in terms of society, right? It right. wasn't safe to be gay at the, at the for, for for hundreds of years, right? And it's so barely safe now. You've got to have certain cities, of course, of course, and many of these families. I think you're right—they—they literally put their children in that situation, and then it just—it just was corrosive. Like the Catholic Church didn't deal with it, parishioners didn't deal with it. There was no transparency, and and honestly, quite honestly, not enough. Is changed in that regard I don't, not yeah. not enough a lot of young people are at risk in all these situations and we as a society are still choosing in many cases to look the other way
0: well but i one thing that's happened is a lot of people have, have recalibrated their opinion and their approach and their commitment to the church i would think i think so yeah, and c- I think the church in this is, country, the
1: church is recalibrated. I think the church is like, look, we're not going to change as much as people want, so people can stay or they can leave.
0: I think the church is drawn <laughs> a line. <laughs> they rebranding. They're sort of like, we're not about. We uh, might pedophilia be downsizing. Anymore. We might be downsizing. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, yeah. It's a new non-pedophilia. <laughs> yeah, Catholic. That's church. part of. That's part of the new. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the right? pitch. So, so you tell your folks like, you know, I'm going to do improv. Yeah. yeah, like why did you do it in college in some silly yeah. group? Yeah, it's not a silly group. I'm
1: sorry. Well, I guess it was a silly group. Now to come to yeah, think, I
0: mean, it was. It was a group have that had a was silly a- name.
1: My mother's. flea <laughs> I'm what? just realizing you're right. It was a silly group. My mother's flea bag. Okay. Yeah. And was I don't a, know. It was there forever. It was an improv group. Sure, it's always, there's always one. There's always one there. Anything like that. Yeah. Met this group of people who still are dear friends today, who still all work, who still are smart people who do comedy and acting and other things. And it, that was the beginning for me. That was like, oh, okay, this is, I, I like this. This is different.
0: You liked it. And it was like uh, a big group? How many? Seven, seven, eight people. Men and women? Yeah. And you were doing a sketch?
1: Sketch comedy, improv,
0: and improv, yeah, and you'd perform. And at it's the kind school.
1: of a big thing on campus. Like a lot of people, you know, Polar was in that group when she was there. She sort of started the year. I left, I think. Oh, and really? Nancy Walls, now Nancy Carell was genius in it. Miley Flanagan, Wayne Wilderson's huh. an actor. You know, there's like here in L.A. So there was a lot of like really talented people who came through that. And, and more for me, it was just like you know, I was a kid from Jersey who never thought of this stuff. So suddenly I was like, oh, this is a different way of thinking of looking at the world. Were you an English major or something? Philosophy really yeah I started in the business school huh because that's my you know I'm the kind of Irish Catholic kid that went to BC with like three pairs of slacks yellow green and red right I think in navy blue I think four yeah so I, I literally had slacks yeah you know I don't know who has slacks Do you have slacks
0: I don't know what you, what you mean like slack slacks, slacks yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't. I might of, have a pair of, kind slacks. of like
1: a pleated chino
0: I, yeah, no, I, I
1: mean, no, I, I remember I, my parents gave it to me. I was like, I don't think I'm going to wear these very much. I don't think I ever wore them. But they
0: everybody said, wore chinos in yeah, fucking this, BC. This was
1: like that. Yeah, you're right. It was a chino culture. They were
0: like boat shoes and chinos. Yeah, and, and button down coming. collars. All right, don't overdo it. Jeez, it wasn't a culture. navy blazer guy. <laughs> it sounds like you had a navy blazer. Green, green
1: line yeah, anger it coming coming right yeah, down had the a navy green blazer, line. blazer. Oh, I had. I still have one. I definitely had a navy blazer. It Was like, come on, that's the that's the <laughs> uniform. Right. But yeah, so you go there with that. I started in the business school. I had a great Oxford shirt professor. Shirts. I have many Oxford shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the best teacher I had at BC, one of them, yeah. was a business school professor, accounting finance guy, who basically pulled me into his office and like just said, "Don't do this. Yeah. You shouldn't be in this school."
0: And really? Like, yeah. Professor, Why, I wonder what that what happened he just saw it inside you yeah he
1: came in I thought he was calling me in to say hey you're great you're doing great and he yeah. basically said hey you're trying really hard and it's not working you should think about something else
0: and you, and that was the, the great philosophical question so that's what you're like I don't know I'm gonna philosophy I need answers <laughs> I walked out of that school and changed <laughs> the, my change my major the next day so were you taught by Jesuits in philosophy yeah
1: that's why. That's when it got interesting, because the the professors were either Jesuits, holy men, or ex Jesuits, and many men who had pushed their logic to a pay where it could no longer support their faith. And so there were they let like, them stay there. Oh yeah, of course they engaged in it. There that's were like lovely. these great debates. that would a do.
0: Lovely thing. That was the best part. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you'd you'd have a Jesuit, and then you'd have the the fallen Jesuit.
1: Yeah, I mean these guys. I don't know if they consider themselves fallen, but. Or risen, I guess, You yeah. depending how you look at it.
0: And what, you know, what, what strain of philosophy did you, you could wrap your brain around it?
1: I loved it. Only because I felt like I was behind all that. There were so many people who were so far beyond me. I was playing yeah. catch up and they were just, they were just, I would be in classes with people who could just think in for lack of a way of, better way of saying it, they could think better. They yeah. had bigger brains. They could process bigger ideas. They could sort of... And I'm like, I think, that's, as, I think that was probably the beginning of my writing. I'm like, oh, this is uh, becoming a writer. Because I'm like, oh, I need to be better at processing ideas, distilling them, and then articulating them. That's a really cool thing that I can't do well. Oh, so it
0: was the structure of the philosophical argument that had an so. impact? I think so. That more so than the you know necessarily the answers
1: yeah there was never uh, there, is there ever answers and not, not
0: uh, every more, day more... <laughs> every day i'm working on it <laughs> well
1: it was more the questions and yeah. like that that and that for me was like set sort of set me off in that direction i think you know So cha- you're change the course
0: you're doing the philosophy and you're doing the comedy yep
1: that was it
0: yeah and then i got out it works together it works and where'd right? you go when you got out
1: we all moved to Minneapolis. And started, we all? Yeah, the troupe that I, a lot of people I performed with at Boston College.
0: So you created your own troupe? Yeah. And then moved to Minneapolis? Yeah. Because Minneapolis?
1: There was one, we sat around thinking where could we go? And we're like, we can't afford to go to New York because so we have no money and we'll never survive. We can't go to L.A. because who the hell goes to L.A.? We're a bunch of Irish Boston College kids, right? Yeah. And there was one dude, Wayne Wilderson, yeah. who said, I live in Minneapolis. It's a cool town. There's a lot of musicians and there's yeah. some comedy. Let's go there.
0: So the idea was you get a residency at a theater?
1: Yeah, not quite. We didn't quite have that ambition. We literally were performing anywhere they would let us, from car shows to- How many of you
0: were you? Like seven of us. So, uh, there were seven when you left, too?
1: Yeah. Huh. So, car shows? Different, uh, anything. Yeah, literally car shows. We performed first on Cape Cod for the summer, and we performed all over the what Cape. What town? All over? All over. Uh, we spent a lot of time in Wellfleet, at the Wellfleet, Wellfleet Oyster House, yeah. Huh. And then we just got you know better and better at it, and then we moved to Minneapolis. We did that for like two years until we totally exploded, because we were like, you know, we didn't know what
0: we were doing. Exploded, we just, oh, not fame-wise, <laughs> but as people. Just, yeah.
1: We, we were like, okay, we got to go on our own.
0: So, it's how many men to women?
1: Uh, I think it was an even split. I think it was
0: three and... And how long did it take for everyone to start commingling and, uh, and creating negative relationships?
1: Uh, it took a while. Look, some of us commingled. some of us, a lot of people, there was uh, two or three people who came out yeah. with, at that period. It was a oh, m- yeah. great exploration yeah. and understanding. Look, for me, what it was, was like, I wasn't an artist. I didn't come from that. My, I came from this really structured Irish Catholic sort of, you usually get a job when you get out of college and you go to work at a corporation. So it let me start thinking about the world differently. And, 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 and that was the beginning of, I would say that period, that yeah. two or three years in Minneapolis was way more informative than college. Oh, yeah. What was your most, you think, if you had to look back, most informative
0: period? You know, there, I, I, there's actually been several, you know, I, yeah. I, I think. You, you know, college didn't really pan out for me because I, I'm not, I was um, emotionally sort of incomplete and needy. So, like, yes. I couldn't really, like, I somehow charmed my way into honors. Yeah, you know, I graduated with honors, but it was not based on anything, I think, other than my ability to to sort of you know uh it was liberal arts so yeah. what does that really mean yep but there was um there was the drug part and then there was the i don't like the periods like i've been looking back a lot dude on on you know my commitment to comedy happened right after college and i put myself i dr- i dragged myself through a lot of very weird painful uh you know not heavy trauma but you know emotionally traumatic situations to get where I am you know and I don't I can't tell you why yeah it's weird but I I guess the the most I mean once the, the podcast started and I started to feel and i got recognized for something i think that was the most significant oh wow that like i think that but you did a lot of great stuff up until that point yeah like, but i i didn't recognize it and i didn't feel like i was culturally recognized either so huh. so the, whatever self esteem was supposed to fill in in me didn't right until you know we created this podcast out of nothing when there were no podcasts and all of a sudden there was something happening yeah. around my stand up and around this yeah. where i'm like you know i'm doing something that I'm proud of, and so something filled up in me. So but, somehow that,
1: for you, it was also linked to being recognized?
0: Definitely. You know, because I, I'd worked hard, and I always thought my comedy was worthy, and I never knew, like, I knew I wasn't an entertainer, but I thought I, I, I was culturally relevant, but that's relative to the cultural distinction What do you mean by you weren't
1: that? an entertainer?
0: I never thought of myself as an entertainer. I thought com I thought of comedy as some kind of weird truth pulpit where the context was <laughs> specifically you just you, you had to be funny. Yeah. But like what yeah. was really going on there was like I was I needed to find myself yeah. and and find myself in relation to the world that I live in and then share this journey with people and sometimes it got very dicey. I mean there I, I think back on it all the time. There was a I was in Boston at the sort of at the beginning of my career, working in a club, doing whatever the fuck I did. I don't even know why I was driven by anger and and sort of like you know, you yeah, know, uh, provo- yeah, right, that. And I did a set once, and some guy who was in a local media position, I don't know who he was, but he just he walked up to me and he looked at me and goes, "Why comedy?" <laughs> <laughs> and did I, it resonate with you? Yeah, because I still think about it. I'm like, I don't know. I still don't know. Uh, you know, I've gotten better at it, but I, d- I don't really feel like I do it like many people. And I don't think I do it for the reasons that many people do. I never was in it for the money. I just wanted to be a great comic. And for me, great comics did something more than just entertain. That's it. Yeah. So I don't know. When does someone know they're there? I don't know. I, I still don't quite know. I know that I'm doing good work, but, you know, culturally you were- relevant, I don't know. Well, I would say that's safe to say you are sometimes to okay. some people. All right. But like, but then it's like, well, I think you're right. But it, it, my brain goes like, but no, nah, it's a small bunch. It's a small crew of people that think that. Oh, like, what? How many think think that I'm relevant? So then, then it comes to like, you know, how many do you need? I need the world. Yeah, but but then I know, like, I'm not for everybody. I'm barely for me. So like, you, you know, like. <laughs> How, You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: I do. I do. Trust me, as a filmmaker, you deal with that all the time. Especially, I, I never think of myself as a filmmaker who puts myself out there into the world. I don't, I just, some filmmakers lead with their personality and in a great way and they lead with their brand, for lack of a better word. Yeah. I've never been that way. I love, like you just said it, I've never thought about making money. Right. I just love the work. Like I, I you know, I, Boston Compelled. College led me to that. I started acting. I'm like, oh, acting's cool. And then I had this dream I'm like oh maybe I could be an actor in my you know and I'm like, that would be amazing if I was an actor like that would be incredible well, how does
0: that happen I mean so you're like you know you're a, a the 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 improv group is breaking apart yeah and then what do you do I was I started I always loved plays and I'm like why couldn't I do a play in Minneapolis then I
1: moved to Chicago I was like I'm going to move somewhere else I moved to Chicago I just started trying auditioning but I didn't know anything did like, you ever I,
0: do stand up. No,
1: <laughs> that would scare the shit. I did a lot of comedy in the improv side, but yeah. not stand up. Stand up just always scared the shit out of me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, no, and I just started acting, and I thought, okay, this is cool. I really dig this. Like, yeah. and I, I was pretty good at it. I started getting roles. Yeah. And then it went. I, and then I realized in it Chicago then, you started Chicago. Getting roles? Yeah.
0: Why do you say it like that? That's a good theater town. No, I know. No, I'm just she like judgmental. It, no, not at all. Okay. Like I mean, uh, Chicago turns out to be the sort of source of most of uh, modern comedy, and and you know, you like, think so? Well, yeah, because the, the of shift city and all that. Or? Well, the shift from sort of like stand-up based yeah. product Into and, and sketch yeah. group based product. Yeah. is different. Yeah, like you know, like you know, you had these. This generation of stand ups who were these w- weird rogue characters that yep. you know primarily got into the racket because they couldn't get along with people, and that sort of the focus of television and uh, and comedy shifted from there to like these relatively emotionally healthy groups of people that knew how to work with each other <laughs> and there were many tiers of you know there was writing and directing yep. and acting all in one package, yep. and it kind of left the the gypsy stand up. <laughs> alone <laughs> to figure out a new way but uh that's how i see and it. it's a great theater town like you know, oh yeah Steffield, no i mean tracy let has become a, a great friend of mine yeah very, what, what, a, and
1: what a terrific artist that guy is he's
0: he's a solid guy
1: on, and on so many levels you know just, it's just it's crazy impressive. yeah
0: because yeah. he's like you know you talk you know you hang out with him he's just like this good chicago he's oklahoma guy yeah right correct august and, osage yeah but but a great guy. But yeah, just a monumental talent. But not- but, but I think he's emblematic of like Chicago. It's yes. sort of like
1: a blue collar theater yes. artist
0: town. Like they don't. Yes. They're,
1: they're not fussy. They're not fancy. They just work. They love the work. I think that's probably where now I think about it. How I started, and so I'm like I'm like oh, just do the work and don't worry about the other shit.
0: Right. Right. So where'd you where'd you start working? Did you do Steppenwolf?
1: No. I never they never hired me. <laughs> you support. weren't angry enough? No, I just I was not angry or cool enough. <laughs>
0: uh I think I just, it's more angry. I just
1: started doing plays. Yeah, I was not a terribly angry I
0: guess I am. You gotta angry. you gotta be fueled by sweaty booze. Yeah. And, yeah. and and yelling.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you
0: think about like. Uh, yeah.
1: I, I have that in my DNA, but maybe not enough for Steppenwolf at the time. Uh, and I just started doing plays at theaters there, and I I loved it. But I realized I didn't really know what I was doing. Like people kept using terminology and being like, "What's the beat here?" And I'm like, "What the fuck is a beat?"
0: So you didn't take. So you had no acting training. None. Not a day. Just uh, being funny with a group of people yeah. from college,
1: and suddenly I was like with real hardcore theater people who understood it and 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 were very good at but it. But you
0: had a knack for it.
1: I was pretty, yeah, I did. Yeah. I did, if I'm fair, because I was getting roles. Yeah. Probably, I probably shouldn't have been. So I'm like, okay, I'm pretty good at this. And then I thought I need to get training and I went to the Yale Drama School.
0: So just I went to the best place available, yeah, which was, uh, and they let me in because I, I lucked into it. I, I just I, that I probably did.
1: No, I would. Yeah, I do think on some level. Though, isn't everything a little luck on some level? Come on, look, man. There's a I, lot of good people out there, right? Yeah,
0: I know. But that program, there's like you know they only let like 12 people in, yeah, and true. you know you've got to go through this panel of people that are pretty snooty. So they got you got to at All some right, point. That, that
1: alone for me is that it's got to be some luck involved because there's just no. There's, they've got, got, got to no, sense
0: some innate talent, of course, but. We can build this guy. Coupled with luck. Yes, of course. <laughs> we can make him. A Six
1: for, for $1 million. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that was it. And and then that changed the course of everything. Once that happened, then I was sort of off and, and running. So that
0: probably informed, just being in that environment m- must have informed your writing as well. Everything. Because were you doing, you know, graduate? Student I was doing a lot of plays, stuff?
1: training, all that stuff. But I was also writing in the cabaret, which is sort of a separate thing that you can do. But I think more than that, I was around people who were articulating what we do. Like smart people who thought a lot more about, about theater, acting, writing, and directing oh. in a way where I was like, "Oh, th- I love the way this." I remember James Bundy, who now runs the drama school, was yeah. in my class, and I would just listen to him talk, right, and think, "God, that guy's smart," and I love the way he articulates his ideas on performance. And, and what character. was the kernel
0: of of this you know this awakening in terms of like uh, the art of it? What do you mean? Well, I mean, like you're saying that, like. These are intelligent people talking about directing, yeah. acting, yeah. writing. Yeah. So what was it that it made you realize that you wanted to do or could do? I think or could I execute? think
1: also because it, it, there was an intellectual side to the pursuit, which I didn't realize. Oh. And I had the same thing with movies about four years later. Hmm. That it was like suddenly I realized, oh, there's not just this emotional side to this work, but there's something deeply intellectual, which I find fascinating, which I'm a very... I was always a curious person. I'm like, oh, this is where I can... I think I was a curious person who wasn't always an intellectual person. Even mm. in college, I didn't pursue it as as even though I was a philosophy major, I just didn't have the Oh uh, yeah. I didn't have the training. I didn't have I wasn't it, like yeah, rigorous enough as a person to mm. dig in as deep as I should. Dr-
0: I, I was immature. Drack. I was immature. It drives me nuts, man. Like, you know, cuz all I wanted was to be an intellectual, but I didn't have the discipline. It's not I don't, I don't think it's immaturity. It's like in order to really Uh, source be be able to source what's necessary to be a traditional intellectual you've got to do a lot of fucking reading dude
1: it's a lot of work (laughs) i think
0: by the way i think you just cracked it (laughs) yeah that's it for sure for sure yeah (laughs) That's where the that's where the charm comes in. Yeah, you know, you'll fake it. Man. Yeah, that's what that's where it, charm takes over
1: when the intellect sort of hits the walls wall. off. Like, yeah, that's I'm of and look, league. I'm Irish, right? So it was like, oh, the charm I can yeah, yeah. do. I, I'm out of my league here. Yeah. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to be funny for about two minutes, and that'll <laughs> and that'll make everyone forget <laughs> I was supposed to be smart. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I feel like I do that in Q and As for when releasing oh, movies yeah. all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah well, you get the film nerd question, I'm, and then you sort Matt of. Matt like, and I were just talking about this, grew up in yeah. Santa Barbara yesterday, and I remember the first time I went to Santa Barbara, you know Jim Sheridan, the great Irish director, yeah. and Jim—I remember—I was on this panel with him and Anthony Magella and Danny Arcon. All these yeah. like great directors, all so you know, so far beyond. And Jim does this thing; it's it's the actual, it's the perfect Irish answer to everything. Where they would any question they would ask, he would answer any way he wanted to. It had nothing to do with the question, right? And he would just be charming and funny, right? And he sure. would finish, and people would be like, "Oh, oh amazing! So, oh, so warm, oh, so Irish, and yeah, warm. so Irish, so yeah. inviting." <laughs> and uh, I was like, "And I would be staring down the line, being like, he 'He didn't answer the question. It <laughs> was not a proper answer.'" And I thought, "Oh, Jim has it mastered.
0: Yes, yes, the great art of Irish bullshit. <laughs> I mean,
1: totally, totally." And he knew the. He knew that guy knows how to make a movie, obviously. And he, uh, you know, he just didn't didn't want to play
0: the game. That's great. So, but but when do you write any plays? It wasn't your thing.
1: I wrote two one-act plays with a buddy at Yale. Uh, And it was the second one that we wrote together about the Ford brothers and P.T. Barnum in New York, where where I met Peter Dinklage, who then starred in my first film, Station Agent.
0: You met him... Where? I directed
1: him, and I cast him. Tom Thumb was a role in this play that you wrote, yeah. The one act, yeah, yeah. And and I needed to find Tom Thumb in New York City, and everyone's like, You gotta see Dink, he's
0: great, he's a theater actor. do t- that's his nickname, is Dink, yeah. Wow, yeah, okay, Dinklage. yeah. Well, I mean, they're like I in am. order to cast Tom Thumb properly, Dink sounded right.
1: <laughs> I said, I gotta find him. How many? I had to go find him, I had to go down and see this play and he was in it and he was really good and i'm like wow that guy's kind of a stud and yeah. uh, and i met him afterwards and i cast him in this play and we worked together we became friends and uh and then when i was writing station agent i started thinking of him for the role
0: so oh so you actually you wrote, you you kind of yeah. he, cr- created it for him kind of did yeah yeah
1: yeah because I just hadn't seen it. And I, I thought, what I saw in him when I directed him, which I think now the world knows because of Game of Thrones, was that like he was a leading man.
0: Yeah. He was right. a leading man yeah.
1: in, a, you know, in an unconventional way. And, and he was just such a deeply soulful actor. Yeah, And I thought, oh my God, if I could capture this in a film and capture And so I started writing for him.
0: To, to transcend dwarfism.
1: Yeah, on some level, or, yeah. or embrace it, or right. everything. Uh, right.
0: You know, and just be human. Humanize yeah, it, right. Humanize, yeah, 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 right. yeah, And you did it. Yeah, we did it. What would that, What the, What play involves Tom Thumb? What was the pitch on that? It was <laughs>
1: uh, It was a play called The Killing Act about the Ford brothers who killed Jesse James coming to New York based on a true story and selling their act, their killing Barnum to Barnum. Act to Barnum. And then what Barnum did was spun it and he sold them not as heroes, but as cowards, which is now most people know them as the coward, the cowardly Ford brothers. Right. And we thought, well, it was a cool comment on fame and all that stuff. And it, seemed, it was a crazy, interesting, weird
0: place. So, and, and you call yourself not an intellectual. That's some pretty thinky shit. <laughs> Was, but it, you know we had yeah. to pick that story i mean you, but that was your own sort of like you it comes from your curiosity that yeah. you know that you know you you find things in the culture that that will that will enable you to execute these explorations of morality and and humanity and and and, and uh, have an, a, a relationship that's kind of juiced up with something you yeah struggle all that sounds great yeah. I still
1: wouldn't call me an intellectual right
0: like you you and
1: I know you know when we're around real intellectuals you're like wow, that guy is a great well, thinker well, and I can name many that you're just like, oh that's a different kind of mind that's a mind that I will never have
0: no no absolutely but I guess you're right, you're not an intellectual but but it's but it's that's the artistic brain it's not the intellectual brain right but exactly. the conversations that will come out of that inspiration, you know, in the intellectual circles will yep. be, you know, that's not on you. Yeah, you know, right. they, you, you've done your part to yeah. move the ball along. I them. think so. I think so. <laughs> for and, it's saw... a little, and for
1: me, it's a little more enjoyable.
0: Absolutely. But like, I, I, am just thinking about, you know, what, what does inspire? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about things that I get hung up on because when I put together an hour of up, you know, I've got, you know, I have to think in terms of themes and I have to feel that there's some engine driving it, uh, you know, and I've become obsessed with, you know, the difference between what we do in our real lives and what we are reacting to, uh, that we put in our heads Yeah. Yeah, that, the, the, the disparity is profound., yep. and, it, and it speaks more to, like what we were saying when you sit down with roughnecks, yep. as opposed to. So there's something really kind of uh, compelling about that lens.: I think so. Yeah, well, that's I, just what I'm just using. I think, as But an it's example. going back to the intelea. I, I think
1: no, I think you're absolutely right. But I think it's like for me, and it sounds like you're the same. Like there, in anything I do, there just needs to be a little bit under the floorboards, something right. operating that intellectually I can go chase. So first draft of Stillwater was a straight up thriller. I couldn't find that thing as I reproached it six years later. I had a both a point of view and I had questions. I had a lot of questions I wanted to, to sort of explore and ideas yeah. I wanted to explore in terms
0: of screenplay. Suddenly it started to come
1: alive. It was interesting
0: to me right but the more you acted because i mean you did a lot of acting before station agent yeah uh, here and there yeah but then like i mean the i would assume that the wire was a big deal yeah like because i you know i remember that part and i i remember watching you in it yeah and thinking like you know who's this guy yeah but uh, but that was a- You were
1: thinking, who's this guy? I hate this guy. I think I was one of the more disliked characters on that show. Well, you just saw
0: the evolution of spinelessness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? I, Wasn't I re- that it? Uh,
1: yeah. I epitomied spinelessness.
0: Yeah. Uh, In fact, I remember- But not out of the gate, right? It's sort of- No, slow. turns,
1: Slow you know? and horrible. <laughs> In fact- I was editing my second film, The Visitor, when David Simon called, and he offered me that role. I had auditioned for a couple other roles in the show and didn't get them. And then he called me in that fifth season. He's like, I think I have the role for you. I think I have something you really connect with. Yeah. Now, looking back... Yeah. I was always like, what did Simon see in me? <laughs> I would capture that spinelessness, but he did.
0: The the same thing Yale did. They're like, Look <laughs> at this spineless Irish. This guy. guy. We, need,
1: we need guys like this. <laughs> need guys to puncture out there in the world. Yeah. You're right. It is a tragic they yeah, see yeah, my it. tragic flaw yeah. and they and they These capitalize Irish guys on it. They can capitalize take a beating. on it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Ah, sad. It is, it's painful. The visitor, that was a great movie. Where did that you know where oh, did you where, where did that where did the the inspiration for that come from
1: I was in the Middle East screening the station agent. Yeah, I was sent by the State Department to screen the station agent with yeah. Errol Morris and the fog of war. So right. picture that double bill. The, the station rump- agent was the, and the oh, fog the, of war. the,
0: the movie about and, uh, yeah, McNamara. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so a really weird double bill. And I was spending time in Lebanon, and I was spending time in these incredible communities of artists, Arab artists, and just thinking like, wow, we're talking a lot about this part of the world, and I don't think we know these people. <laughs> like I want to start, I want to write a movie with some of uh, these artists. And I started there and then I started thinking about the part that Richard Jenkins played in this professor I you know, just same way. I was talking about Stillwater, right? There's all these little pieces I kind of magpie from in my life And then I started spending more and more time and then I was like what's going on with detention in this country and this was back in 2005 2004 before really talking about it and I signed up through a church Yeah in Brooklyn to visit I'm in New York to visit one of these detention facilities. Yeah, and it was horrifying. And I started that started, again, sort of a little bit journalistic in my research, mm. interviewing detainees, interviewing people who were deported and, and started focusing on that.
0: And boy, did that get worse. Way worse. Well, I mean, well, that's interesting, too, that the like it, what I was talking about at the outset of this thing was that the exposure to other cultures, art and artists. Yeah. It, you know as an american who you know w- you know whether you admit it or not this sort of weird um entitlement and and you know even if you you don't see yourself in that way yep. there is a a a kind of perspective of, there there's a there's something myopic about just being american no matter what you are absolutely so you know artist or lefty or righty whatever yep but, you know, all of a sudden when you're like, oh, my God, there there's this entire, like, you know, uh, culture. age-old yeah. culture of, yeah. of creativity yeah. and expression and and history that, you know, I, I know nothing about. And yeah. it's enchanting and beautiful and, yeah. and, and, and crazy relevant. Yeah, yeah. It's really it, – to be open to that is is profound. And I, I think that's what I'm sort of experiencing now because I'm always open. But you get very kind of stuck in your – your life yeah what are you letting in how what, you got to make choices yeah like i'm gonna go do this yeah
1: i think it's the biggest problem maybe in this country today
0: right that's what i'm <laughs> that saying people
1: aren't breaking out of their lanes yeah and look i'm guilty of it still when i dropped into oklahoma i was like oh man i i in some way felt i understood that place without actually going there right mm-hmm. and like you know, likewise for them, the, a bunch of these roughnecks and their and their family came into New York for the yeah. premiere, and we had I had them over the house in Brooklyn. Matt came over. We had dinner in the backyard. Literally yeah. had pizza and beer and just hung out. And like you know, I realized like most of them hadn't been to New York. Most of them hadn't you know had that experience, and it was it led to this really. Lovely late night thoughtful conversation about our differences and about our sort of isolation and our sort of siloing in this country. And as you said, more with you know phones and 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 you know the interweb and all those things that Mm. divide us. And like it's gotten pretty critically bad right now.
0: Well, what's interesting is that you know, and I've talked about this with my producer Brendan McDonald, is that you know really the singularity has happened. Yeah, it just you know I don't know we were expecting something more sci-fi. Yeah, but we are now sort of thoroughly in this uh, place. appendages. of yep. uh, of 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 a, of a technological algorithm. Yep. Uh, a universe where you know we're just all being pimped out by algorithms to the yep. point where it's very hard to decipher uh, if we're honoring any of our own desires. Yeah, e- e- and or or pursuing any personal truth or yep. or, or being critical of anything coming in or what that information is. It's being tailored to us by machines. Yeah, It's kind of fucking horrendous that you have to kind of consciously go like, all right, I gotta mind my mind. And who has time to do that? (laughs) Right, and who has the sort of rigor to do that? Like
1: most people don't even think that way. Most people don't even realize it's happening right
0: now. Right, well I mean creativity enables you to do that. The life of an artist or a creator, or it's your responsibility to react to that. Uh, and we do almost innately. There's a pushback. Try to step out, also, right? We're trying right. to step out. I but think you, so. you create a world. I mean, you, there's not. You have habits, but mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, if you're going to spend six months or a year making a movie, yeah. you know, you're you're not just sitting at home festering about Facebook.
1: No, no, you're not. Right. And, and you can't really learn anything like you get to you know it's interesting with the, with the pandemic I had a couple ideas I was starting to work on and I kept hitting walls Yeah. and I was like what the fuck is why am I hitting these walls like these are kind of cool yeah. ideas because you're and not leaving the house, so the how house. Could... <laughs> and I'm not interviewing anybody Right. I'm not going and sitting literally that was it Yeah. I was doing this whole thing on low power radio I was really interested in low power radio stations and I was listening to these stations around the country which are super cool and they're like just great radio stations and I was like I got stuck in my writing and I was like what's the matter and I'm like Oh, I'm not actually, I've never been to a low power radio station. I Wait, had what idea. is,
0: what is, you mean not, you mean regional or just local? Or low what? power
1: is something that started probably back in, I don't know, 2010 ish when oh. their pirate radio was really, they were trying to, they were trying to like halt pirate radio, yeah, you know? Right. And they started creating low power radio zones, which is they're like, they have a, you know, they have a, like a, they're like 50 watt stations. They reach like a mile or a mile and a half, but they're, they're all over the country right now. Really? And they're amazing. And so some of these radio stations, like I was listening to one in West Virginia, which Charleston, West Virginia, which is just like an amazing radio station, and just to wake up and put it on and hear it's live DJ, radio, live radio playing. So great it's music. not
0: podcast. It's yeah. just like you know, no, they're just it's in just there guys spinning in their backyards. Yeah, or...
1: Nope. they have a station, they have a little station, or from their home, but they just kind of. And what's the following? Uh, imagine it's pretty local, but yeah. you know, now I was listening. Yeah, I I started AM band, and I started communicating with them. Uh huh. Yeah, and they would communicate back with me, and yeah. we started that. You know. But, but I couldn't go down there. I couldn't sit in a room with them. I couldn't get to them. I still haven't.
0: So what happens now? How's the movie doing?
1: I think the movie's doing well. It's tough, really tough to tell in these times just because of the, the box office and COVID and who's going and who's not. Yeah. Um, but I think we had a pretty good opening weekend as far as the studio's concerned. They're really excited about it. They've all been calling me. And, you know, the movie's playing really well. And uh, I'm, I'm super proud of it. You know, I'm super proud of Matt's work in it, the whole cast and... Uh, I don't know, it's, you know, I I, I find these times, I love the work, I love doing it. All this part of it uh, it seems a bit beyond me at times.
0: Sure. So what, now, what are you actively engaged with uh, creatively? Uh, Is it that radio thing?
1: No. Mm -hmm. No, I'm working on a TV project right now, actually, that I sort of started for some reason during COVID, and I'm kind of excited about it, but I, I don't think I can go deep on it. Until oh, I, yeah. I know what it is.
0: So, but you're you're sort of like uh, you're in the groove of it. It's A little happening. Bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And with that you did that big uh, that big see, that Thirteen Reasons Why, right?
1: Yeah, you know, a, a guy I know, I, it was right after Spotlight and Brian Yorkie, who's a really talented writer out of the, and came out of the theater, musical theater, he reached out to me and just said, hey, I got this thing, I don't yeah. know how to get it there and can you help me get it there and uh, we just kind of jumped in together. I directed the first couple episodes and uh, I didn't know it was going to have the impact it did and start the conversation it did, uh, but it kind of blew up that one.
0: Yeah, and what was because there was a little like yeah uh, f- uh, f-
1: yeah you know, you know heat it, yeah I mean the, the show focuses on on a, on a young woman well, and the, uh, the book uh, the Nigel book on a young woman who commits suicide and, and it's a really obviously powerful and mm. uh, topic that, that a lot of people feel strongly about and I think it played out in, in when that thing was released.
0: Oh, so right. So, oh, I remember. So, it was like people thought you were glorifying or romanticizing. I think so. I think some suicide. people felt
1: strongly about that, and some people didn't. Some people thought, especially I think the young people watching the show felt like, no, this is a conversation we yeah. need to be talking about. I'm always, I'm always a fan of having the conversation. Uh, I think that's more important, and I think that's our job as artists to kind of promote the conversation.
0: No, I, I absolutely, and I think that you know there is a, uh, an issue about that the dialogue around criticism yeah. and around you know that as as a, like i just had a conversation with ao scott it was a different conversation but but the 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 idea that Criticism is supposed to sort of also have its own language around the evolution of art, right? Yeah, it, it's not designed to stifle creativity yep. or to moralize. Yep. necessarily. So like, you know, w- there's a risk that if these conversations around what can and can't be said culturally. Yeah, uh, you know, continue to push back. Yep. Creativity. Yeah, that, you know, we deny the exploration of the struggle.
1: Absolutely. It shuts down the conversation Yeah. right right now. We're seeing this our society and look There's a lot of good happening But there's a lot of like narrow lens focus on certain issues that I think are becoming so explosive for people that Artists are feeling more and more tenuous about extending themselves and like that's what we need to do You know, I'm a white middle-aged guy. I need to go explore other cultures and ideas to expand and hopefully to bring myself to that conversation and it's tricky to do I think think right now because there's just so many landmines and I feel like that that is making it uh, you know it's something a lot of us are talking about all the time what we have the right to do what we can talk about what the pushback is it's a it's an incredibly tenuous time the artist is
0: stuck in the middle of a strange Kind of, uh, uh, kind of a viral explosion of, of particular uh, public opinion. Exactly. It, it, yes. It, it might even be a minority situation yep. on a platform that does not have a you know global impact or impact even uh, nationally, right. right? But but it, it is antagonizing enough for the corporate. Uh, overseers right. who facilitate the making of the yep. work to be nervous yep. so then you know the artist is stuck in the middle of like well fuck if the studio is going to get pissed off because yep. this thing is blowing up I, I you know i believe my vision you know can transcend this and will add to the conversation yep. but now we're stuck in this other i'm in the middle of a conversation that has nothing to do with what i'm doing which which is, the, which is
1: trying to have the conversation. Oh, right. right. Which is trying to engage with the ideas. And, like, it, it, I, you know, I talk to so many writers and filmmakers who are feeling that pressure right now. And it just and it's coming from all sides. And, and I think, like, as artists, we're always trying to liberate ourselves. We're trying to be... There's a, there's a courage to, like, driving into ideas knowing... We're not going to get everything right you never do you know that's not our job to get it right It's our job to kind of have the conversation to explore things to be curious and to push people to sort of Look at themselves and look at others and think differently But with that you need to make mistakes and I think we're getting to a place in this culture It feels sometimes to me that like making mistakes can be critical and 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 people are ready to jump on people who make mistakes uh, That's I think can become problematic in the yeah, long like- run. Told you! Yeah. You know, I think that's why a lot of people just like to do their work and not talk that much. It's why sometimes, in even these situations, just us throwing ideas around, it's a different time than it was 10 years ago. I mean, do you feel it on your show? Do you feel a reticence, a hesitancy, a pressure, either from yourself, probably not at
0: this point, but from guests coming on? I'm curious. Like, can you feel people yeah sometimes you know and, I, and I, I'm certainly sensitive to some of it, but you know, but but the weird thing is is like I, I think generally a responsible artist with some sensitivity you, you know knows what's correct and what isn't. Yeah. You, you, you know, and, and and is sensitive to real issues mm-hmm. versus you know reactive issues but but alongside of that, it's so easily to be misinterpreted. Absolutely. So, like, it becomes tricky to even have a, a conversation about certain things.
1: I think so. And I'll go a step further than that. Like, things are changing language is changing right what well, language the world always does right and so and you're right and we're gonna misspeak and we're gonna say things we yeah, grew you, up, need you know
0: we have to evolve yes and yeah. we have
1: to evolve. but the problem is if the punishment is so swift and severe that making those mistakes sort of overrides the evolution then I think we're in a really bad situation then we're not growing in a healthy way we're not expanding and exploring we're sort of in a defensive
0: posture well people like if they want people to change they've got to learn got to make and, and it's like Okay, examples can be made, but then we have to continue learning. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, growing. Yeah, and most people will, given the chance. Sure, especially if they're not public people. Yeah, If you yeah, yeah. if, if,
1: yeah, if you give the exactly if you give them a second chance. Yeah. But I think we're. I don't know. It just feels like it's such a harsh climate right now. You can feel it, you know. And I feel like some of it is because of the isolation and the lack of human connection sitting across from but, each other. But
0: also, some of it is, you, you know, dealing with. Personal trauma, like I talked about, grief, unresolved grief earlier. Yeah, that, like, what any individual is carrying with them, and and how that manifests in their behavior, what they want to cause out in the world. If they're not, especially if they're not creative, and they just want to start shit because they're sad and angry. Yep. that you know that I think accounts for a lot, like a lack of personal, um, not responsibility, but ability to to deal with their own what's going set. on yeah. yeah in themselves yeah. and i i think that's a lot of what the movie's about
1: i think so i think if you don't that's where sort of generational trauma and generational uh decay starts yeah. you know and i think that's what that that's what happens in families and in communities and even in countries and i think the right now we're at a point in this country we're we're having a reckoning
0: yeah in and, in and, and some days i'm hopeful some days i'm not yeah that's the game it you feels know, like we're right on the brink some days yeah, you know, but like I found a lot of hope in like these like in, in 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 terms of creativity, having, you know, some power in the world with like your movie and with Pig yeah. and then watching y you, you know, the um Underground Railroad yeah. and then the indigenous stuff. I'm like, you know, like these are the voices. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It feels like it's all part of a similar conversation from all different angles, and you know, there's great representation in just what you just cited right there, and exciting representation in the best way. That's that's not sort of it's it's organic. It's yeah. just it's just like artists having their moment. You know, like Sterling having his moment, having a chance to find. But you tell also have
0: her. to go want to go look. You got to go. You want to go see, you know, it's like you when you were in the Middle East and you were like, you know, like, oh, my God. Yeah. In Arab country, wherever it is that I don't do it enough. Yeah. You you know, just to to hear the other voices.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's literally probably Mark is the favorite part of my job is those early days of research of diving in of mm-hmm. geeking out of something of learning of reading of like when i'm there being pressed of going home and researching going back It there's just a quality of it where there's a journalistic approach to it which i just totally totally find completely compelling i always right. think if i don't make this this yeah. has
0: been great right because it's a discovery that yeah. it's going to feed it, everything in your life it's everything yeah great talking to you man. really great talking thank you thanks buddy <laughs> Tom mccarthy that was a great talk i enjoy that guy and i got very moved and I, between us you know we were talking about lynn after the interview on the porch and i fucking started crying i guess that doesn't stop the crying in front of people you don't know that well crying in front of strangers entirely even and now i will play some murky music on my little neck guitar And La Fonda. Cat angels everywhere, man.